Now, the one who's really deserving of praise is Jesus. Can you put your hands together just one more time for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Come on, you can do a little bit better than that. He's the one that died for you. I didn't die for you. Jesus died for you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So excited to be here with you on a Saturday night. Can you put your hands together for your pastor, Pastor Mike Lee, man of God. No joke, man of God. Man of God. Hallelujah. Pastor Mike and I were on a on a panel together, a diversity panel together at the beginning of the year. And, uh, and normally when I'm on a panel, I was telling some of the guys backstage, normally when I'm on a panel, whoever's on a panel with me is in trouble because I can talk. And, uh, but when we got on this panel, that Pastor Mike Lee boy, he ran right there with me and we just kind of took the panel over. It, be, it turned into the Pastor Andy, Pastor Mike Lee show. And, uh, and we just really talked about diversity and really connected afterwards. And uh, we've decided that there needs to be some stuff in the triangle. It's not a world overcomers thing. It's not a hope community thing. It's not a black thing. It's not a white thing. It's a Jesus thing. Amen. And we need to be about Jesus and be about the kingdom of God. And, uh, and I'm, I'm honored to be a part of that. And so I'm here today and, uh, and I'm, I'm blown away. I'm sorry. This many people on a Saturday night, I don't know what to do with myself. This is crazy to me. And, uh, and so I'm here and, and, uh, Pastor Mike's going to be running my gauntlet, preaching all four of my services tomorrow. And, uh, y'all pray for him, pray for him because he has to preach an eight and then a nine and then a 10, 15 and an 11, 30. And he's going to be going back and forth between Raleigh and Durham. So pray his strength in the Lord. Hallelujah. Yeah, but he's going to be all right. Uh, I've got just a, just a little bit. It's amazing that I've been asked to talk about relationships, and I'm going to jump right into the Word in just a minute. And, uh, but I, I, I started off talking about relationships in my church almost accidentally, and uh, the first thing I was really talking about was how to find somebody. Now, when it comes to dating, sometimes we don't talk about dating until people do it wrong. I grew up in a church where if you made a mistake in the church, because I grew up in a holiness church, it's a highway to heaven. None can walk up there but the pure in heart. And so in the church I grew up in, if you made a mistake in the church, they'd make you get up in front of the whole church and apologize to everyone. And so I figured if we're going to talk about how to do it wrong, I need to talk about how to do it right. How do you find somebody? How do you date? How do you date and keep it holy? And, uh, and so I wrote this book called Real Love how to avoid romantic chaos and find the path to lasting love. And, uh, and, and that book is out there, and I'll be out there afterwards. And then the book that I'm going to preach a bit from today is this book called Handle with Care, which is the book that I, that I wrote on marriage. I was just on Daystar in, in Australia talking about this book. And uh, the reason why I called it Handle with Care is because when our parents said I do, when our grandparents said I do, they meant forever. Today, when we say I do, we mean as long as you act right. And so when you get marriage now, you're going to have to handle it with care because this new generation is not as committed to forever. They're committed to how you carry yourself. And, uh, and so I know that when we look at divorce, we look at it as if it's this terrible, horrible thing. But I actually believe, as bad as it is, that it's going to be a part of what brings us back to really the heart of marriage and, and the heart of the, of the relationship and really being aware of it, not taking each other for granted and really focusing on one another because we won't be able to take it for granted anymore 
anymore. We'll have to handle it with care. And, uh, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach on it just a bit today. And, uh, but I'll, I'll be out there after service is over, and we'll, 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 look at, we'll look at some stuff together, and I'll sign it if you want. Hallelujah. How many have a Bible with you or a device or an iPad? Throw something above your head at me really quickly. Wave something at me. All right, praise the Lord. Let's look at the Word of God together. Turn with me in your Bibles, your devices, uh, to two passages of Scripture. The first one is Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5. And, uh, and the second passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Ephesians 5 and then 1 Corinthians 13. Ephesians chapter number 5. I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet for just a moment. Will you stand with me? It's my custom to stand for the reading of the Word of God, uh, to show honor and reverence to the Word of God just by standing together. Thank you so much. And uh, just for us to stand together. Ephesians 5 and verse 25, very familiar passage of Scripture, and I'll read it in your hearing. The Word of the Lord comes to the Apostle Paul, and the Spirit of God says to us this afternoon, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves the church and gave him up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. And then the second passage of scripture is 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 and uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11. Again, a very familiar passage of scripture. Again, the apostle Paul, spirit of God uses the apostle Paul and it's on the screens. And, and Paul says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I reasoned, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, an adult, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection is in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Tell of my message this afternoon is love, God's picture. Love. God's picture. By your head, let me pray for you really quickly before you take a seat. Lord, speak. Speak, Lord, just now. Some wonderful truth that you'd have for us to see. Thank you, Lord, for our worship. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together to hear a word from you. Now, God, we set aside our own agenda and we put you in charge. We give you first place in our lives right now. Have your way in us. Kingdom of God, come in this moment. Will of God be done in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said together. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Love. God's picture. If I can draw your attention to the verses we just finished reading where Paul says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. When I became an adult, when I became a man, when I got grown, I put childish ways behind me, childish thinking behind me. In my house, uh, I live in Chapel Hill. I have a man cave. 
in my house. A, a room that is designed for me to watch my shows. And if you have a man cave, it's a blessing. It really is. A, it's a blessing. It's a place where you can kind of go as a guy. If you want to make a mess, you can make a mess. You do what you do and tape your shows. I have a man cave. My man cave is on the third floor. And, uh, and normally when I go to my man cave, I, I bring stuff with me because it's on the third floor. I bring water. I bring juice. I bring sandwiches. I bring my cell phone in case I need anything so that if I run out of stuff, I can call uh, in the house and have people attend to me because when you're in your man cave on your couch, you don't want to move. You want to chill. You want to relax. You want to watch your shows. You don't want to move. This particular time I'm in my man cave and I forgot my phone. And so I'm up there and I ran out of my stuff. I ran out of water, ran out of juice. I got hungry. I got thirsty. And so I just started calling, hey, hey, dad needs something. No answer. So I sat there. I'm still just watching and my throat is getting dry and I'm getting more hungry and I'm contemplating getting up. But then I just kept on calling, hey, hey, can anyone hear me? No answer. So I just, well, I sat there for another 10 or 15 minutes or so and just and just kind of, well, just suffered, suffered and, and considering, should I get up? Should I, I don't want to get up. And I called again, hey, hey, can anybody hear me? No answer. Finally, about 10 minutes later, one of my sons, and I have, I have triplet boys uh, that are 16 right now. At this, at this time, they're about nine. But I have triplet boys who are literally eating as we speak. Right now, they're eating. And so they eat while they eat. I don't know if you, if you have boys, but you have to write your name on your food. And they still come and say, is this, is this yours? Yeah, that's why my name is on it. Uh, can I eat it? So anyway, so one of my sons came in the room, and I don't know what he came in the room for. I don't know what he wanted. He walked in. When he walked in, I said, oh, man, I'm so glad you're here. Listen, go downstairs. Tell your mother, I need a sandwich. I need a couple of bottles of water. I need some juice. Get my cell phone so I can call if I need anything else. Go right now. And he just, uh, and went downstairs to do what I sent him to do. I don't know what his agenda was when he came into the room looking for me, but when he got in the room with me, my agenda totally trumped his agenda. What I needed became more important than what he needed. And whatever he came to see me about, my agenda trumped his agenda. In the same way, I don't know why you're here today. I don't know what it is that brought you into this place. I don't know why you came to this service. But I want you to know that whatever your agenda is, whatever your need is, whatever it is that you believe you're looking for God to do for you, understand as wonderful as that is, understand it's just possible that maybe God has an agenda that will absolutely trump your agenda. You're in his house. Maybe he's been calling and no one has answered. Maybe he's been hollering and no one has heard his call. And we have to realize, I know it's, it may not be easy, but we have to realize that it's absolutely possible for God to have a plan that may even trump your plan. 
And that God's agenda and my agenda are not always the same thing. And one of the agendas of God is maturity. For you to go from immature to mature, to put childish thoughts behind you. When I was a child, I, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I, I deduced, I got my reasons why like a child. When I became an adult, I put the childish ways behind me. So I, I began to realize that it's not just about what God can do for me, but, but that, that's an immature perspective to only come to church only thinking about myself or what God will do for me, or how he'll meet my needs. And praise God that God can meet your need. Praise God that God can heal your body. Praise God that the Lord can set you free. He can deliver you. He can make a way for you. Hallelujah. But understand that that in itself can be a bit of an immature perspective about kingdom. You can't just have a consumer. We can't just have a consumer perspective about kingdom. This can't just be a place where you come to get spiritual six-pack abs. You can't come here just to add a little Jesus to your agenda and your life. Understand that when you mature in this thing, you'll begin to realize that the greatest thing you can ask God to do is not bless you, but use you. That God has called you to the kingdom for just such a time as this. And that God's agenda is not just maturity, but intimacy. So that when we actually start to talk about marriage and relationships and dating and how to find somebody and how to be found, it's, it's not just about us fixing your marriage or fixing love or fixing relationships for you, although certainly that is our desire, that, that your relationship will be wonderful. Praise God for that. That you'll meet someone and fall in love. Praise God for that. That's awesome, but that's not the main, that's not the only aim of it. A part of the aim of it is understanding that marriage is a picture of the unity that exists between Christ and his church. And that what the enemy is really after, not just the family, not just the destruction of the family, not just the destruction of the foundation of an individual, but what the enemy is really after is he's after intimacy. The reason why he's trying to make it so easy and this, the young people are just hooking up and just and, and hooking up. It's almost as if they're, they're involved in the most intimate act, which is sex, and we treat it as if it's not intimate at all. We have to realize that it's more than just an attack against their individual destiny and their purity and their real, it's, 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 that's a part of it, but it's bigger than that. That what the enemy is after is he knows that if he can ruin the idea of intimacy, then he can ruin the idea that anyone can be intimate with God. And so that you then begin, all of us then begin to realize, especially all of us that are married, we begin to realize that I, I'm not just asking God to bless my marriage or fix my marriage or, or, or help, help, me be, help me be married and help us to get along. It's not just for me, although that, that is a part of it, but, but a, a, part of, a part of the desire, especially what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 5, is that, that really when we're talking about marriage, we're talking about Christ and his church. And that we, we have a responsibility, not, not just to be about us, but to be about God's picture. To be about God's song. 
to be about what God really wants uh, us to be about and, and for us to then realize, Lord, not only do I want you to bless me, but I want you to use me. I want you to use me to show what a relationship with you is really about. So with that in mind, I want to talk just a minute about, about marriage being God's picture. And the truth of the matter is that we have to get this thing right. We have to get it right. You have to get it right. If you're in here and you're married, I've been married for 25 years. I got to get it right. You have to get it right. Not just for my children, not just for my community. I've got to get it right because especially those of us in the house of God, those of us in the household of faith, we have to get it right because marriage is God's song. And there's nothing worse than somebody jacking up somebody's song. If you've ever been in a car with somebody and they go singing somebody's song and they don't know the words and they can't sing and they're just jacking the song up, understand marriage is God's picture. Marriage is God's song. We got to get the picture right. So I want to take just a few minutes to talk about how do we fix the picture? How do we make sure that our marriages are what they're supposed to be? How do you make sure that the relationship you get into leads to a really powerful marriage relationship? How can we relate? It's an excellent topic. It's a great thing for us to talk about. How do we fix the picture? I'll give you just a few ideas really quickly on how we can fix the picture. Number one, the first way that we fix the picture is that you look in the mirror. You look in the mirror. You don't take a picture unless you've looked at yourself. You want to make sure that you're straight. You want to make sure that you're done right. You want to make sure that you have yourself together. You've got to know yourself so that I, since I recognize and realize that I'm about to take a picture, I check myself out in the mirror and make sure is stuff good. Do I look right? Okay. Because I don't want to go jump in a picture and I look messed up. I don't know if you've ever gotten in your car and saw something in your nose or saw something in your teeth and you thought to yourself, how long have I been walking around with that in my mouth and nobody said anything to me? No one, no one mentioned it to me. You look at yourself in the mirror and I, I, one of the challenges of marriage is that we don't really know ourselves. The word says that a husband is going to love his wife as he loves his own self. You, you can't love someone else if you don't love yourself. you got to know yourself. We live in a world in which we know everything about everybody else and don't know enough about our own selves. The fact of the matter when it comes to marriage, it's so interesting to me that, that, we, that we can almost think of women as being needy, but the truth of the matter is the one that really is needy is the man. That God looks at Adam and says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. That Eve is the answer to Adam's aloneness. She is the answer to Adam's need. And one of the great challenges of marriages is that many times, gentlemen, we pick someone before we know what our need is. You got somebody sitting next to you that is the answer to your need. She's never a nag. If you need help in that area and she offers you need, she offers you what you need, you're excited about it. You're like, thanks, great, that's awesome. But if she's telling you something you don't need to hear, it can get on your nerves. And so number one, you need to know what your needs are, gentlemen. But also, uh, you, you have to ask yourself the question, do I know myself well enough 
Do I know who I am? Do I know what my strengths are so that I can actually get someone that has strengths where I have weaknesses and they have, they have weaknesses and I have strengths and in that way we balance each other out. That at the end of the day, it's like Batman and Robin. I don't know if you ever watched the show Batman and Robin on TV. Batman. Okay. If you remember, Batman and Robin, they'd be fighting. I loved the show. I was a little kid. And what would happen is they'd be uh, fighting the Riddler or the Joker or the Penguin or whoever. And then at that crucial time, he would go, oh, yeah, Penguin. And he'd call in the thugs and they would surround Batman and they'd be fighting back to back. If you ever watched the show, you'll know that Batman was always handling his business fighting but Robin they were always getting the jump on Robin and in saving Robin they would get on Batman and the show would go off with them back to back dangling over a pit of lava and the, and the announcer would come on and say well the Cape Crusaders get out of this dastardly situation tune in next week same bat time same bat channel and I would turn the TV off mad saying, Robin, can't you hold your own? Take some kung fu lessons or something. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I want you to notice that when the show came back on next week, Batman never said to Robin, you know what, Robin, you need to start doing some sit-ups or some push-ups or tired of carrying you with your little weak self and your little green tights. No, what, what Batman always said is he said, I have something in my utility belt. Robin didn't even have nothing on his little black belt, nothing on there. But Batman said, no, I've got an answer because the real enemy is not each other. It's the penguin. It's the Riddler. It's the Joker. And you have to realize in your marriage that sometimes you're Batman and she's Robin. And sometimes she's Batman and you're Robin. <laughs> that she has strengths where you have weaknesses. And you have strengths where she has weaknesses. But you have to know yourself. You have to know what your need is, gentlemen. You have to know what your abilities are, ladies. That first, you've got to take a look at yourself in the mirror and really know. Number two, the second way to fix the picture is you've got to turn the lights on. Got to turn on the lights. I mean, we're, we're shooting a video. They, uh, that, that, and so the, the lighting is, is a certain way because when you're taking a picture, when you're shooting a video, there's got to be the proper lighting because we can't see if there isn't the right lights. So, so we've got to stop hiding. We, we, you, you have to realize that you're being watched. You live your life differently when you're being watched. You live your life differently when you realize that folk are watching you, that your children are watching you, that your coworkers are watching you, people in the church are watching you, people in your community, they're watching you. The lights are on. The word says that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. We have to come out behind, come out of the shadows and actually walk in the light as he is in the light and a fellowship with one another that, that we're, we're never going to fix this marital picture as long as we have all these secrets and all of this hidden stuff that we do behind the scenes. We have to turn the lights on. What's the third thing that we have to do? The third thing that we've got to do if we're going to fix the picture is you got to get in position. 
You have to get in position. You got to arrange properly. You got to say, all right, this is where you're going to stand. This is where you're going to stand. Sometimes the photographer will say, no, I want you to, okay, you move over there and you, you push in here. In the same way, understand God is taking a picture. He wants to present that picture to the world. That's what marriage is. It's that picture of the unity that exists between Christ and his church. And so we're going to direct you and say, okay, you need to move over here. And you, well, all right, you're tall, so you get in the back. You're short, get in the front. But we, we have to get in position position to make sure that we get the picture right and and a part of that that getting in position is we have to agree I know that when we come to church and talk about marriage sometimes we're expecting the pastor the preacher to talk about submission but I would contend that submission in marriage is not really the aim the aim is agreement the word says can two walk together unless they be agreed to do so? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. You're not going to walk together if you're not in agreement. And so I would suggest that you agree. I would contend that if you're in this room and you have a problem in your marriage, you have an agreement problem. What we call a communication problem is very often an agreement problem. Because if you communicate long enough about something that you don't agree about, it can get ugly. And so we've got to make sure that we agree. And I suggest that you agree about these five areas. This is something that's in my book. It's something that I teach in my premarital classes. It's something that I teach couples. It's what I teach people when they're dating. I teach people when they're dating that instead of looking at somebody with a great big smile on your face, you need to look at them with a smirk. Because no matter how much you think they're cute, no matter how cool you think they are, no matter how much you say, I just love them. If you are not in agreement, it can erode your relationship. So you need to be in agreement about these five areas. S-M-I-R-K. The S stands for sex. You need to be in agreement about sex. If one person believes that sex is created by God to be enjoyed and the other person believes that sex is strictly for procreation, that's a big problem. We can't eat them under that problem away. We can't, we can't put oil on you and pray that problem away. If one person believes that, that, that a normal, healthy sexual relationship is once a week and the other person believes it's once an hour, that's a big divide. We can't pray that problem away. You need to agree about sex. We're talking about sex. We're talking about romance. We're talking about appearance. And we're talking about what you think is cute. We're talking about what you find attractive. Sex and romance is huge. Is the thing that makes the marriage relationship different from any other relationship that that sex is for married people that single people are not supposed to be having sex I say that if you're single and you're having sex you're outside of the will of God conversely if you are married and you're not having sex you're out of the will of God that was quiet all these dudes in here I thought somebody would say something Uh, my suggestion is that you're intimate more often than not but, but my point is, is that, that that means if there's seven days in a week, at least four of those days, you ought to bless the Lord. <laughs> Help us, Jesus. I say any day you go to church, you ought to go home and worship him in a whole nother way, gentlemen. I mean, and so if you are, you're here on a Saturday, that means that today, not only is it a day to worship and praise, but it's a day to fellowship. Hallelujah. And, uh, and, and so my point is, is that, but you have to be in agreement about sex. 
What you're going to do, what you aren't going to do, you have to agree about that because a disagreement in one of these five areas is enough to destroy your relationship. The S is for sex. The M is for money. Money. One person loves to spend money. The other person's trying to save money. That's a big problem. We're talking about money. We're also talking about career decisions. What if he has a tremendous opportunity in North Dakota? What if she has an opportunity in New York? You moving to New York? I was talking to a, to a couple that they were like, Pastor Andy, we in love. We in love. And I said, all right, you're in love? Oh, yeah. I said, all right. Tell me what. what do you, I asked her, what do you want to do with your life? This is when they were dating. She said, I want to be an actress. I said, wow, that's awesome. That's amazing. That's great. Okay, so if you're going to be an actress, you're either going to live in New York or you're going to live in L.A. She said, yep. I looked at him. I said, are you moving to New York? He said, never. I'm going to live right here in North Carolina. I said, are you moving to L.A.? He said, no, North Carolina. I said, okay, well, then y'all just found out that you don't agree. Y'all just found out that you aren't supposed to be together, but we love each other. Yeah, but love can't conquer disagreement. What's going to happen is either you're going to resent living in L.A. or she is going to come to a point where she's thinking, I could have been an actress. Instead, I'm raising your little kids. What I'm saying is, is that you needed to be in agreement. You need to be in agreement about the five areas. The I is intangibles. S. M-I, the I is intangibles. The intangibles are the little things. Little things mean a lot. It's amazing how people are in a relationship with somebody that does the very thing that drives them crazy. If they don't stop chewing that gum. <laughs> you, you need to understand what the little things are. The uh, little things are, are big things. The R is for religion. Religion. Uh, uh, it, 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 we, we, this is obvious. I mean, there are wars that are fought in this world over God. When we're talking about religion, we're saying one person wants to go to, to Hope Community. The other person wants to go to World Overcomers. One person wants to, one person's Catholic. The other person is, is Protestant. One person believes in tithing. The other person doesn't. One person believes in healing. The other person doesn't. One person believes in, in, in the gifts of the Spirit. The other person doesn't. You, you're going to have one person wants to go to church every week. The other person wants to go once a month. You, you're, you have to agree about church. Agree about kingdom. If you don't agree about kingdom, it's enough to destroy your relationship. And then the K is kids. Sex, money, intangibles, religion, kids. How many you going to have? If one person wants seven kids and the other person doesn't want any, that's a big problem. I can't pray that problem away. We're talking about kids. We're also talking about how you're going to raise your kids. One person believes in timeout, and the other person believes in taking the timeout from whooping you. Then that's a big divide, and we can't pray that problem away. You needed to talk about that before you had them children, and we have a tendency to raise our children the way we were raised. What if you have children from a previous relationship? What about your baby mama? What about your baby daddy? What about your ex? What are you going to do when your ex-husband gets out of jail in 2022? What are you going to do? We got to talk about this, especially if they're crazy. Because if they're immature, then their immaturity can affect your relationship. We got to talk about kids. Kids are wonderful. Kids are awesome. And having kids is a part of the glue that will keep you together. But the process of having them can be very destructive to your relationship. Because kids are always there. They're always knocking. What y'all doing in there? You got to lock your door. 
You got to tell them, don't disturb this crew. You have to keep in mind that your children are great and they, they're, they are a priority for a while. But at some point, you got to get them little people back down in their place. Otherwise, you'll be so busy running around taking care of your kids, so busy running around to soccer practice, so busy. Your whole life will be so much about them little rascals that when they leave, y'all won't have nothing left. You should never let your children sleep with you. The devil's a liar. I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. Never let your children sleep with you. They got to sleep in their own bed. You have to talk about your kids because agreement is power. Jesus said, if two of you on earth can agree, nothing can stop you. And so you have to agree. That's the third point. And then my fourth point, my last point, when it comes to taking the picture and getting the picture right, is focus. You got to focus. There's nothing worse than a fuzzy picture. You're going to have to get the picture in focus. That means that you're going to have to give your marriage, your relationship, some attention. You have to get off of automatic pilot. We have a tendency to just put our relationships on automatic pilot. I've been married for 25 years. It's real easy to just kind of go through the motions and just and just 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 do what you do and just not give attention to the details of your relationship but you have to realize that the marriage relationship the marital love is different than any other kind of love and I believe that one of the mistakes that we made especially in the body is that we started to treat marital love as if it was unconditional We have to realize that unconditional love, that God kind of love, it's wonderful. The challenge of unconditional love is that unconditional love is not necessarily intimate. I can say to all of you, I love you with the love of the Lord. I've never met you before. You've never seen me before. You've never heard me before. I'm Pastor Andy from World Overcomers. Y'all don't know who I am, but I can say to you, I love you with the love of the Lord. Love your brother. Love your sister in Jesus' name. That's agape love. It's God's kind of love. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful love, but it's not intimate. If we're going to be intimate with one another and be close, then you'll have to meet my conditions. Because if you continually violate my conditions, what will happen is I won't want to be intimate with you. I won't want to date you. I don't want to sleep with you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to hear you talk. I don't want to hear about your day because you so continually violate my conditions. And so what we did is we introduced unconditional love into marriage and we separated everybody because the only way to have unconditional love is, and the only way for the love to be unconditional is for us to not be that close. That way I can love you without any conditions. But if I'm going to be intimate with you and eat with you and sleep with you and live with you and talk with you and care about you, I have to let you know what my conditions are for intimacy. You have to let me know what your conditions are for intimacy because this marital relationship is unlike any other love that you have in your life. You're going to have to give it some attention. You're going to have to sit down with him and figure out how he defines a wife. You're going to have to sit down with her and figure out how she defines a husband. Make your list, check it twice, and exchange it, and then have a conversation about how well you're doing with one another. Because if you continually, if you continually violate each other's conditions, 
then you may stay together, but you won't be intimate. You may stay married, but you won't be close. And I would contend that since intimacy is God's picture, since intimacy is the point, I know that as the church, we are pained by the idea of divorce. But I would contend that a married couple who's together and hates each other is just as detrimental to the picture as divorce. Idea of it is to be intimate. We're talking about Christ and his church. We're talking about Jesus and his bride. And for, for us to be the right kind of picture, we have to talk about what it really means to really be in love with one another. And kingdom is the perfect picture because God's love is unconditional, but a relationship with God has conditions. Can't be in a relationship with God and just do whatever you want. Through his word, he lays out what we are called to do to be called his children. And so we, we have to realize that without focus, without attention, if we're just on automatic pilot, just going through the motions, we won't have a good marriage. We won't have intimacy. We won't have the right kind of relationship. And not only will we suffer, not only will our church suffer, not only will our community suffer, not only will our kids suffer, not only will our family suffer, but even bigger than that, God's kingdom, the picture of who God wants us to be, the picture he's trying to take will be affected. And we're not just hurting ourselves. We're not just failing us. We're failing a concept of God's kingdom. And I don't want us to fail that concept. I want the Lord to use us for his glory. I don't want us to just be a great church. I want us to be someone that God uses to show the world what it means to walk in relationship with him. Why don't you reach out, grab somebody's hand, and let me pray for you. But Lord, we just want to thank you. Thank you for what you said to us today. Thank you for your word that is so true. Thank you that it is settled in heaven, and today we want it settled in our hearts. Lord, you said that where two or three of us are gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst of us. We came into this house. We gathered in your name on a Saturday afternoon to worship you, to, to bless your name. And maybe we came with our own ideas, our own concepts, our own agendas, but God, now we surrender ourselves to your will and we say, have your way in this room. Have your way in this place. God, have your way in every one of these marriages. Have your way in the life of every individual person here. Have your, have your way in every family. God, do a work in us. And Lord, where there is brokenness, heal it. God, where there is division, bring us together. Lord, where there has been a lack of attention, bring us to focus. God, help us to get in the right place. Help us to get out of the shadows and stop hiding. Help us to stop just going through the motions. Help us to realize that there's something bigger than just us at stake. That marriage is your song. That love is your picture. It's your song. And that you're singing a song to the world through us. Use us for your glory. That we might not only be blessed 
but that we might be able to stand in front of you and hear you say, well done. That we may be able to say, Lord, we didn't just live our lives for you, for ourselves. We lived our lives for you. We lived our lives for your kingdom. We lived your lives, our lives for your purpose. And not to us, O oh Lord, but to your name be the glory. To your name be the praise. To your name be the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said together, amen. Put your hands together if you heard a word from the Lord today.